glad that you're here. I'm certainly thankful for the opportunity to speak to you this morning. I will say, though, I have a bit of a saddened heart today. See, summer is coming to an end. It's kind of sad. I know the crisp, cool fall weather is coming. The snow that blankets beautifully in winter is coming. And it really is rejuvenating all the new life in spring, but man, I am a sucker for summer. I'll admit, it may be tethered to some nostalgia. Back when I was a boy, summer was just the best. Baseball, the pool, camps, ice cream trucks, snow cone stands. There was even a day that parents approved nay, even celebrated, championed pyromania. (laughs) The setting on fire of extremely flammable items was encouraged. (laughs) A day when dad handed you a twig of flame and what looked to be a small stick of dynamite and said, here, son, light that fuse. (laughs) In disbelief, I would proudly march with that mini Olympic torch and burn things that made terrible yet wonderful bangs and bright colors exploded into the sky. Maybe that's why I love summer so much. But I don't know. There was this special week set apart, sanctified, holy as unto the Holmes house, where each kid got to go see the grandparents by themselves. No siblings. My older brother wasn't there to contend with or even more importantly, share attention with. It was just me and some good old-fashioned grandparents spoiling. Where did they live? Colorado? No. California? No, sir. Well, they've gotta be close to like Disney World. Maybe it was Florida. Some place like that. No. Well, your mind's probably already gone there. You've probably already guessed it. Border, Texas. (laughs) Honestly, I am being serious. I still love Border to this day. Back then, when my nostrils were filled with that familiar, pungent petroleum fume, I knew Glory Land was just inside. (laughs) Narnia, utopia. Heaven couldn't have been just a few miles further north. In the morning, my granddad would take me to a donut shop and we'd sit up at the bar and eat apple fritters with some of his buddies. In the afternoon, I got to go to Kmart, pick out from a sea of sealed toys, whatever matchbox car or Hot Wheels car my pre-adolescent heart desired. Sometimes we would walk to the corner store just for candy, just for candy. My evenings stayed busy with activities like trips to Dairy Queen for a dipped cone or a decadent dilly bar. Maybe we'd go bowling. Maybe we'd go to the roller rink. They had arcade games, a concession area, the smooth sounds of late 80s pop pulsating through the place. All while we played limbo under the lights reflected on that disco ball. My grandparents' church was even wonderful. The children's ministry had a permanent puppet stage and performances that in my mind would have made Jim Henson jealous. However, maybe my favorite thing to do there was to go to Burger King. 
When I entered that fine flame broiled building, I got to order exactly what I wanted, the meal that came with the toy. I probably ate about one nugget and half a french fry and then promptly ran to the outdoor playground. I'd climb the ladder to the diamond-plated deck, then slide down the world's hottest slash painful slide that took both breath and flesh away. I'd land into a pile of dusty gravel, then I'd race to repeat the process over and over again. I am missing one of the best parts. See, when you're a kid in the 80s, you get offered a crown when you walk in the door. You remember? You adjust it just to fit your size. And slowly but surely over your visit, the sharp paper edges would systematically begin to cut your ears off but it was just too fun and too cool to remove. And when I think back on those days, I picture myself there, positioned atop that palatial playground, a king with a cardboard crown. There's a king with a cardboard crown found in our scripture passage this morning. He's not a patron of the familiar fast food joint, but one who tried to unworthily seize the throne, a paper champion, a poser for the position. King David is nearing the end of his life, and everyone can see a new chapter in Israel's history on the horizon. His son, Adonijah, was a poser for this position. He sees an opportunity to usurp the office in his father's compromised state. Although Adonijah was part of the royal family, he enjoyed all that it entailed. He had blue blood traveling through his veins. It was never part of God's plan to have him sit on the throne. And in a rebellious series of actions, he attempts to elevate himself. And he only enjoys a brief moment of his made-up monarchy. See, cardboard crowns, they don't wear well. They were never intended to replace the real thing, their toys, temporary, disposable. Adonijah was a cardboard king. Truth be told, anyone can make themselves a such said king. Adonijah's actions were dangerous, and in the end, they were disastrous. When we try to take the throne of the rightful king in our lives, it's dangerous and it will prove to be disastrous. This morning, I want to give you a few key characteristics of a cardboard king. I hope you'll lean in and listen because God's word has the power to be transformational in your life. Will you look there in 1 Kings 1, verse 5 with me? 1 Kings 1, I'll read verse 5. And Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, I will be king. So he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen with 50 men to run before him. I want you to consider three words this morning that are characteristics of a cardboard king. The first one is this, exalted. Exalted. A cardboard king exalts themselves. David was now unable to carry on the royal duties. Adonijah took advantage of this situation. He exalts himself as king of Israel, proclaims, I will be king. And then borrowing a scheme from his brother Absalom, Adonijah fashioned for himself chariots, horses, and 50 men to run before him to herald him. 
It was kind of a dress for the job you want, not the one you have move. Fake it until you make it. Maybe if I exalt myself, have people announce me, and I look the part, I'll get the part. First Chronicles 28.5 says, Of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. Adonijah was never meant to be king. A telling trait of a cardboard king is this self-exalting, narcissistic tendency to habitually put oneself first. And this void of humility leaves a hole that captures a myriad of trouble. And the troubled tragedy of Adonijah's story is one of self-exaltation that proved him rebellious and resulted in his ultimate ruin. It'll ruin us too. A mother was preparing pancakes for her sons, Kevin 5 and Ryan 3. The boys began to argue, as boys do, over who would get the first pancake. Their mother saw this as an opportunity for a moral lesson. Now, if Jesus were sitting here, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. I can wait. Kevin, after receiving his rebuke, returned and looked at his younger brother and said, okay, Ryan, you be Jesus. <laughs> if we're honest, we didn't have to learn to exalt ourselves, did we? Myself included. We have this innate fleshly desire to be first, to have our desires met, to get our way. If the Borger Roller Rink 80s tunes taught me anything, it was that at least in some respect, indeed, everybody wants to rule the world. <laughs> Presbyterian minister Dr. Craig Barn tells a story about a conversation he had with a man who had been dating a woman for a while, and she was wondering if they would ever marry. He says... He told me he didn't know if he could marry her because he said, I don't know if she makes me happy. I asked him why not, which was a mistake. He went on and on explaining all the reasons why she didn't make him happy. Finally, I interrupted and said, what kind of wife would make you happy? The more he described what he was looking for in a wife, the more convinced I became that what he really needed was not a wife. He needed a goldfish. The pretty kind with the long tail that floats around, or maybe a golden retriever. Although, a dog will make demands on you emotionally. A goldfish, though, just sits there, looks pretty, doesn't ask you to communicate, doesn't ask how your day was, or expect you to listen how its day was. He said the last thing he needed was a wife, because his whole understanding of why the world existed was to meet his needs. The world doesn't exist to meet our needs. We, in fact, exist to live for not our own pleasure, wants, and desires, but to serve the rightful king and exalt him in everything. Whether we eat or drink or whatever we do is to be to the glory of the one true king. When we self-exalt, whether knowingly or unknowingly, we lower the level of those around us we're called to love, and worse still, we rob the rightful king of the glory he should be given, and like Adonijah, you and I were never meant to be king. Rabbi, Jesus' words in the gospel should ring in our ears when we read this passage in 1 Kings. Listen to Luke 14, 11, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. It's a dangerous climb on a loose ladder when we exalt ourselves so high, and furthermore, as a result, the fall can be quite far. 
Adonijah would suffer disaster. When we make ourselves the Lord of our lives, we too can expect no other result. Exalted. The first characteristic of a cardboard king. Here's a second, entitled. Entitled. Would you look at verse 6 there in the passage with me? His father had never crossed him at any time by saying, why have you done so? He was also a handsome man, and he was born after Absalom. Entitled. A cardboard king feels entitled. Adonijah was the fourth and now seemingly the oldest surviving son of David. He considered himself to be entitled to the throne, yet the Lord had imparted a name of affection on Solomon at his birth. Now, if you think only TNT knows drama, you haven't read about David's family. David's family was a domestic disaster. David's firstborn Amnon had been slain in a plot instigated by his younger brother, Absalom, the third son of David, also challenged his throne, but was eventually slain by David's general. On the second son, Chiliab, not much is known. It's expected that he died very young. And I mean, I'm leaving out a lot of details and the worst details. We just don't have the time or honestly the emotional capital this morning to deal with it. But just know and remember, it was a big old mess. David did a lot right. And scripture tells us he did a lot right. He was an incredible leader and king. The Bible exposes his flaws. It exposes ours too. David really struggled as a parent. This passage says of David in reference to Adonijah, he never even asked him, why are you doing that? Adonijah Why are you acting this way? Why are you doing this? It means he never corrected his son. The result was a child with no barriers, guardrails, no limits that became an adult that still acted like a child. Just as a child that sees something someone has and thinks and explains, mine when they see it. Adonijah sees a soon empty throne and says, mine. I read a quote from Eric Reed, pastor of the Journey Church in Lebanon, Tennessee, just this week when he stated, in all my years of pastoring, I've learned this lesson. A person's spiritual maturity is not truly visible until they don't get their way. Then you see the person. Ouch. Philippians 2, 3 says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. We could describe our current culture in many ways, but I don't know if there's a better adjective to describe our culture than entitled. We can all live that way, but we're only setting ourselves up for disaster. We were never meant to be a king. Entitlement can wreck our relationship. It curses our careers. When we live entitled, we can become more consumer than contributor. Hey, can change the way that we even look at church. Now, how come we don't have accordions on stage? Why doesn't he preach on guardian angels more? 
Why can't we have a class for people like me who've had similar dental work with foot freckles and were born late on Tuesday afternoons? I'm being silly, but we all have our preferences, don't we? We have to be careful. It's a dangerous and ultimately disastrous behavior to live entitled. Entitlement poisons the person that possesses it. It robs us of the joy of serving others. The only cure is to fix our focus on the one true king, to let him be Lord, to let him reign in our lives uncontested. Entitlement is a characteristic of a cardboard king. Maybe it was his order in the family Maybe it was his good looks. Maybe it was his charm. Maybe it was the fact that his father didn't discipline him that Adonijah felt entitled to be king. But he was never meant to be king. It was never God's plan. It's not his plan for you and for me. Exalted. Entitled. Here's a final word. Exclusive. Look at verses 9 and 10 with me. Adonijah sacrificed sheep and oxen and fatlings by the stone of Zoheleth, which is beside Enrogel. And he invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the men of Judah and the king's servants. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, Benaniah, the mighty man, and Solomon, his brother. A cardboard king is exclusive. You know, sometimes you know you're at the wrong kind of party by by who's there. Sometimes you know you're at the wrong kind of party because of who is missing. Where's God's prophet, Nathan? Where is Adonijah's brother, Solomon? Now, in our culture, someone that knew Solomon would have texted him and tipped him off. Hey, where are you? Why aren't you at Adonijah's party? Solomon would have texted Adonijah, Hey, I, ha- I heard you're having a party. Adonijah texts back, I mean, I'm having a few friends over. NBD. No big deal. Well, it seems like a pretty big deal. Seems like there's a huge feast. Everyone is there but me, and you've selected a few of Dad's squad to help make you king. SMH. Mad face emoji, mad face emoji. Adonijah would text back immediately, I don't even know you right now. I sent you an evite. Did you even check your spam folder? Shocked face emoji. Solomon would text back in all caps, wait, is that a crown on your avatar now? Shocked hyphen surprise cat emoji. I knew it. This isn't over. And it would be that that gif with the angry girl and the hairbrush. But no matter what, no matter what, there is no time where an exclusion like this would have worked. Where there wouldn't be complete disaster. Where it would end well, excluding, betraying father and brother, seeking to elevate himself as king. But he didn't exclude his family. It wasn't just that he excluded them and their family friends. He also excluded God. Adonijah was deliberately rebelling against the word of God. He was commandeering David's and God's right to choose a successor. 
When our lives revolve around our reign, we become exclusive. Because the elevating of ourselves naturally separates us from others and excludes the needs of the people placed in our lives, we're called to influence for the kingdom because we're too busy building ours. Most concerning of all, we exclude the will of the rightful king when our lives exist to fulfill our will. Tim Keller, pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian New York City, also a well-known author, said just this week, we don't want a king. We want a consultant in the person of Jesus to advise us as we order our lives. We don't want a king. We want a consultant in the person of Jesus to advise us as we order our lives. See, there is nothing and there is no one worthy of the throne of your life but King Jesus. Now Solomon's mother Bathsheba goes to David in this compromised state, reminds him of the promise he made to make Solomon king and that Adonijah was trying to usurp the throne Nathan, God's prophet, also goes before him, corroborates this story. And before too long, Solomon is being anointed as king. People celebrated so much, the Bible says, the earth began to shake at the noise. So much so that Adonijah and his guests, they hear it. They hear this other celebration happening. Eventually, someone else comes in and tells them what has happened, all the racket that they had been hearing, and that Solomon was now king. In verse 49, the Bible says they were terrified. And in the Hebrew, it means they were so scared they began to tremble. They, they began to shake when they understood that they were in rebellion to the rightful king. They were afraid and there were consequences for coming up against the king. It should make us tremble to consider that we too can rebel against the rightful king. It may draw your mind to the words from the writer of Hebrews. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The people, they now scatter, they leave Adonijah. He knows full well that he is in direct rebellion, not just to old King David, but now to the co-regent, the rightful King Solomon. So in terror at this prospect, Adonijah goes to the tabernacle where he claimed refuge by getting a hold of the horns of the altar. It was believed to be a place of sanctuary. Now Solomon could have had Adonijah thrown up from the tabernacle and had him executed, but then he gave him grace. The new king simply asked for a promise that his half-brother would not rebel against him, but would show himself to be a worthy, loyal subject. Adonijah promised and Solomon sent him home, but soon Adonijah conspired again and he lost his life as a result. A cardboard king, exalted, entitled, exclusive. The result is always ruin. He was never meant to be king and neither are we. There's this important passage that we cannot miss in verse 52, this pivotal moment where Solomon says, if he's a worthy man, he won't be harmed, but if, if he's wicked, he will die. 
There's a coming time when our lives will be examined to see if we are worthy or wicked and we aren't worthy on our own. King Jesus is the only one who makes us worthy. He is the one way we are made worthy. We must confess our sin, trust in his saving work on the cross, and only Christ makes us worthy. See, Adonijah did do one thing right in my perception. When he recognized his rebellion to the rightful king, he ran to the tabernacle. He got a hold of the altar, the altar where blood sacrifice in the Old Testament was to to atone for sins. When we see our rebellion, we should run to the altar in repentance and remember the sacrifice for our son, for our sins. We'll never give King Jesus his rightful place in our lives until we get a hold of what he's done. When we truly do, we can't help but bow our knees and claim him as our king because the truth is we're never next in line. Our king sits on an infinite, everlasting throne, the same yesterday, today, and forever king. The crown would be more than we could bear. The robe would be too large for us to fill. The rain too much to comprehend. You may be thinking, uh, read the room. We're in the midst of one of the most challenging seasons in our lifetime. Where is the hope, the help, the healing I'm searching for? I'm glad you asked. The truth is, most kings will never know we exist. They, They wouldn't give us the time of day, but King Jesus gave us everything. He is Lord, but he loves you. He knows your name, knows everything about you. He made you in your mother's womb. He created you in his image. He knows every word of every line in your story. He invites you into his family. He has a plan for your life. He sees your darkest days, all your hurts and cares, even knows your secret sin, and he still says, I love you. And before he went to the cross, he knew it all, and he died anyway. In days like this, the view is grim when we're on the throne in this life, hopeless, stuck with our limited knowledge, power, understanding, and finite capabilities. But but when Jesus is Lord, when we place him at that preeminent place in our lives, we can rest, we can trust, we can hope, because he is a king who is in control, constant to love you, capable to lead you through every season in your life. Who reigns as the king of your life? There is room at his table, but there's no room on his throne. Is he the Lord of your life? Make him the Lord of your life. Confess him as king. Adopt this attitude of no matter what, I ride with King Jesus. 
I ride with the King Messiah who rode into Jerusalem as they shouted Hosanna. I ride with the coming King who will ride with the clouds in great power and glory. I ride with the victorious King who rides a white horse. He is faithful and true. He is and forever will be King. Is he your King? Are you willing to choose this day and every day forward to let King Jesus have his rightful place on the throne? Will you enjoy being a part of his royal family to join in building his eternal, victorious kingdom here? Or are you content, perched in a paper palace, just a king with a cardboard crown? Pray with me. Jesus, we confess you as king this morning. Every person here, every one of us, God, we can put ourselves before you. We can begin to put our lives before your reign. We can put ourselves on the throne of our lives. God, we see in the story of Adonijah, it was ultimately his ruin. God, it won't turn out any other way in our lives if we make ourselves king, if it's only about us. If you are not on the throne of our life, God, help us to put you there and leave you there and live for you, King Jesus. We ask and we pray these things in his matchless name. Amen.